You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sending money internationally is really expensive. And honestly, most people pay too much because there are often hidden extra fees in the exchange rate, whether at your bank or elsewhere. But with TransferWise, you always get the real rate when you send to over 70 countries. You pay one super low fee and keep more of your money. Join over 6 million customers and try it for free at transferwise.com slash reset. All over the country, big tech companies and local regulators are fighting a legal battle about how to classify the millions of Americans who find work on apps like Uber, Lyft, and Postmates. These companies employ plenty of people as drivers or couriers, but they don't treat them, legally speaking, like employees. They're independent contractors. That means they have a lot of flexibility. Uber drivers, for example, can clock in and clock out whenever they like. But Uber isn't on the hook for benefits, social security, or overtime pay. By some estimates, that saves those companies 20 to 30 percent in labor costs. This month, a California law went into effect that could change that. So today on the show, California's new gig economy law and the pushback against it. I'm Ariel Jim-Ross. This is Reset. Carolyn Saeed, you're a staff writer at the San Francisco Chronicle, and you've been covering a new law that changes who counts as an employee in California. The law's just gone into effect— so do Uber drivers now count as Uber employees? No. The new law, which is AB5, also referred to as the gig work law, is not a magic wand. It didn't turn anybody overnight into an employee. What it does is creates a much more difficult test for companies to pass in determining who is an independent contractor and who is an employee. But the companies still have to proactively change their worker status. And Uber in particular has indicated that it absolutely will not do so. It's fighting on many frontiers. Okay. And it has said that it does not think it will be subject to the new law. It thinks it can pass this stringent new test. All right. So tell me about this test. How exactly does a company either pass or fail the test? So the, the test is called the ABC test, and it says that a worker should be an employee unless, A, when they work, they are totally free from a company's control, B, the work they do is not integral to the company's core mission, and C, they have independent enterprises in that same trade. So, for instance, if Uber hired somebody to come in and fix their plumbing, that person, that plumber, would not be considered an employee because plumbing is not Uber's core business. Okay, so an Uber driver, for instance, how does that test apply to Uber? So this gets into where the bone of contention is. 
Uber says it is not a ride company. Uber says it is a technology company, and therefore its drivers are not doing work central to its business. The many people who want Uber to reclassify drivers as employees would say that Uber is a ride company, and therefore the drivers are doing work integral to its business. That B prong is the work integral to the company's business is the most important of the three mm. and also the hardest one to sort of to say that, that a worker doesn't qualify for. This test sounds like it would cover a lot of workers, though, not just Uber drivers. So who does this affect? So it affects an incredibly broad segment of the economy. You know, Uber and Lyft and, and TaskRabbit and so forth are sort of the leading edge of the gig economy, the new app-enabled smartphone-summoned on-demand workers. But decades before we had the gig economy, we had people doing gigs, all kinds of gigs. I mean, janitors are often gig workers, and that is a population that has been um, historically exploited and, and might find some recourse under this law. There's truck drivers. There are hairstylists and manicurists. Um, just a wide range of other types of professions could be affected. Okay, so that's interesting. Who exactly fought for this law to get passed and, and why did it come about? So the primary backers of this law are the unions. They see a fresh source of new recruits. If all the Uber and Lyft drivers become employees, then they could be unionized. Under federal law, independent contractors cannot engage in collective bargaining, but of course, employees can. The unions see this as a group that, that is being exploited and that is ripe to join forces and become part of a union. So they were the primary backers of this law. However, the law didn't just spring out of a clear blue sky. It is actually based on an existing Supreme Court decision of the California Supreme Court from April 2018 called Dynamex. That decision is already the law of the land. With or without AB5, this ABC test is already the law in California. It just hasn't trickled through that much. The law makes it much more prominent, and it does several other things. It, it codifies it. It clarifies it. It grants some exemptions for it for numerous professions, and it expands its reach. The Dynamex ruling was only for wage orders, and the law expands it to other things like disability and workers' comp. How are rideshare drivers reacting to this? Because from what I understand, they actually went on strike last year over their work conditions. So are they in favor of this law and, and how are they reacting to it? They are of two camps and, and it's a little hard to say which one is stronger. There are many drivers who say they are not in favor of this law. They simply want to remain independent contractors. The whole reason they like to do ride hailing is because of the extreme flexibility they have, the ability to just clock in, clock out anytime they would like. Then they fear that if they were employees, they would no longer have that extreme flexibility. On the other side, there are drivers who say they are being exploited, they are being underpaid, they're making less than minimum wage, and they want the protections and security that this would give them. It's a little hard because this is such a huge and dispersed group to say how many drivers are on each side. Mm. I will say that the Rideshare Guy, which is a very well-respected um, podcast and website for ride-hail drivers, did a survey, and, and his survey found that the um, more drivers said they were against AB5 than for it. But on the other hand, Uber and Lyft are doing a lot of fear-mongering about this and saying, well, you won't be able to work and you won't have any flexibility at all and, and it, it will destroy the working conditions that you love. So it's still a little hard to say. So, so I'm actually glad that you brought that up because that brings me to my next question for you. What exactly are the big tech companies doing about this law? 
So the big tech companies, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash, along with Postmates and Instacart, are putting up $110 million for a ballot initiative going directly to the voters this November to make their own case that their workers should be exempt from this, Hmm. that their drivers and couriers should be their own class of worker that remains as an independent contractor, but has a few of the benefits that an employee would have, such as a guaranteed minimum pay, So $110 million is a lot of money. And on the other side, the unions are prepared to wage a big battle over this. So this is shaping up. It could be the most expensive ballot initiative in California in history. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also a lawsuit. There are multiple lawsuits, in fact. So Uber and Postmates have filed a lawsuit saying that this is unconstitutional and and they're seeking a temporary restraining order to say it doesn't apply to them. The California Trucking Association has filed a lawsuit using different legal arguments, and they already won a temporary restraining order blocking the law from applying to them. They got that on New Year's Eve, just hours before the law took effect. Mm. Freelance writers have filed a lawsuit. They are also seeking to be exempt from the law. On the other hand, Uber drivers have filed uh, at least two lawsuits that I know of and possibly more saying that under this, they should be reclassified as employees. So there's people filing lawsuits on both sides of the law and, and the year is young. I'm sure there will be many more to come. Why are all these big companies so upset? Why are they putting so much money to repeal this law? Well, there are two reasons. One is that their basic business model depends on extreme flexibility, on people being able to clock in, clock out whenever they want, and on the companies themselves being able to quickly ramp up their employment base by offering incentive pricing, surge pricing as as we know it, to, to get more drivers out on New Year's Eve or other times of high demand. And they say that their whole business model depends on this extreme flexibility and that they feel that if they had to have drivers as employees, they would lose that flexibility. The other big, big, big issue for Uber, Lyft, et cetera, is the added cost. Uber alone could be looking at $500 million a year in California in extra costs, according to an estimate from Barclays. They had an estimate for Lyft of slightly under $300 million. So these companies already lose money hand over fist. They went public last year, and this is the year they need to show Wall Street that they can start making money and adding the hundreds of millions of dollars of expenses onto their um, balance sheets isn't going to help them in that. Are you saying that, hypothetically, if this does stay on the books and this is applied to Uber and Lyft drivers, for instance, could this actually make those companies go under? That's kind of beyond what I can speculate about at this point. It's hard to know with some of what they're talking about, how much is saber rattling and how much is reality. But I could certainly see that adding this huge amount of extra expense on in what is for both Uber and Lyft and pretty much all gig companies, their largest state market would be pretty difficult. And then the alternative of actually pulling out of California altogether is is also kind of an overwhelming thing for these companies because, again, it is their largest market. It's their home turf for a company of the size and magnitude of Uber and Lyft to leave California over this would be pretty earth-shattering. So you have mentioned a, a number of different kinds of contractors and freelancers. You mentioned truck drivers, for instance. You mentioned writers quite a bit. And 
just to be clear, this this also impacts the company that that currently pays me to do this job, right? Vox Media? Right. Your company put out a press release explaining that they are not going to hire freelance writers in California for their sports subsidiary because of the, in order to comply with this law. And I would like to follow up on that by asking you, are you hiring more employees to take the place of those freelance writers? Oh, I actually <laughs> wish that I knew the answer to that question. I'm so glad that you turned there. the tables on me. No, that's great. Uh, I'm probably not at liberty to comment on what's going on. However, I am very glad that we are having this discussion right now. And you know what? Maybe we'll go and ask SB Nation, which is the website in question, what their plans are. That would be great. Please let me know. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what does it mean that a law that originally was conceived to regulate big tech companies like Uber is having such wide-ranging effects? Well, I, I wouldn't actually say it was originally conceived just for, for Uber and Lyft. I mean, that Dynamics court decision I talked about was for a delivery company, but not an on-demand tech delivery company, just an mm-hmm. old-fashioned delivery company. I think what this shows us is that the gig is actually has permeated in our economy for years and years before, you know, the fancy new gig economy companies came out with their smartphones and their apps. But as I said before, you know, all kinds of people, janitors, truck drivers, musicians, I mean, the word gig generally refers to musicians, all kinds of professions operate as non-employees from time to time. And um, that's what we're learning under the auspices of this law. Do you think this is going to have an impact outside of California? Absolutely. In fact, this ABC test is already the law in some other states, such as Massachusetts and New Jersey. Okay. But at the even higher level, at the federal level, Bernie Sanders has introduced legislation that is basically just like AB5. And Mayor Pete came out here and came to an Uber driver protest about AB5. So if we have a Democratic administration and a Democratic Senate, it is very likely that we will have legislation very similar to this at the national level. And what that would mean is that if we have a Democratic president, that could very well change the nature of work in the U.S. You could say that, yes. Carolyn Saeed is a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you. By the way, we did talk to her colleagues over at SB Nation. That's the Vox Media sports site that fired about 200 freelance writers and editors after the new law took effect. In answer to Carolyn's question, John Ness, the executive director over at SB Nation, told us that they are hiring people to replace the freelancers. Because of the layoffs, they've already hired four California-based employees. Ultimately, they plan to have 20 people covering California, though some of those employees may not be based in the state itself. Also, we reached out to Uber for comment. The company didn't get back to us before our deadline. Now, we've been talking a lot about California tech regulation on Reset this week. And that's not a coincidence. States like California are feeling the need to put these laws in place for a reason. That's after the break. This is Reset. We're back. So why are states the ones regulating tech companies and not, say, the federal government? 
Well, there are some proposals in Congress, and the Fed is definitely investigating how tech companies do business. But recently, a lot of the attempts to put federal laws in place have stalled. To be fair, there was a big push in the beginning of 2019 on a federal privacy law. But by the end of the year, that just did not produce anything. Margaret Harding McGill is a reporter for Axios. You have impeachment, the election. Um, There's a lot of distraction going on on the federal level. And there's also, with a Republican administration, I think less interest in, in really advancing a lot of regulations. So you just don't have a lot happening on the federal level, and you have states stepping in to fill that void. What else is happening at the state level when it comes to regulation? Uh, In addition to privacy, states have advanced net neutrality regulations. States are looking to apply antitrust scrutiny to big tech companies. States and cities are working on facial recognition and home sharing regulations that might take aim at companies like Airbnb. Voters will decide whether Jersey City should keep in place rules governing listings, including a cap on short-term rentals if the owner doesn't physically live on site. Even on the gig economy labor front, you have New Jersey recently fining Uber for allegedly misclassifying drivers as independent contractors and saying, hey, you misclassified, you owe us millions in unpaid employment taxes. A $650 million employment tax bill. That's a lot of money, right? And that's one state. And then you also have states, and this is something where you see have action on both um, state and federal level, and that's on antitrust. So on the federal level, you have the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission investigating Google and Facebook. But there are also big bipartisan investigations um, involving the states as well. So you have the Republican Attorney General of Texas leading a group of 50 states and territories investigating Google. This is really an independent, as Carl said, an independent action by the states. And we're not, we're not reacting to Congress. We're not trying to lead Congress. We're trying to do what we think is right for our consumers. And then New York is leading a coalition of states that are investigating Facebook. So there are a lot of tech issues where states are really going to be the place where action happens. What standing do states have to impose these regulations? Most big tech companies are national or even multinational Do states actually have the power to change how these companies operate outside their own borders? Yes, states can definitely have an impact and an outsized one at that in areas where there is no federal regulation. For example, I do not live in California, but I got plenty of updated privacy policy notices at the beginning of this year because companies were adjusting to California's privacy law. And in the absence of the federal law, California became the national standard for privacy. So even though I'm not in California, I'm getting the same privacy uh, policies that California residents are getting. How have tech companies been responding to states attempting to impose new laws to govern how they operate? So tech companies belong to trade associations that usually focus their efforts in Washington. And now those trade groups are beefing up their state operations. So you have BSA, the Software Alliance, which represents kind of enterprise tech companies like Microsoft and IBM. They are for the first time launching a state advocacy program this year. And that's specifically in response to state privacy laws. Another tech association, the Internet Association, which represents um, Google and Facebook, has offices in California, in New York, and Washington, and opened a new office in Illinois last year. So you see these trade groups seeing that they have to go beyond Washington because their members are facing regulations in states, and they're really trying to beef up those state operations. Right. So all of a sudden, they're not just lobbying D.C., they're lobbying every single state. Exactly. 
Is it a problem for consumers if each state has its own set of privacy or gig work regulations? There is some argument that perhaps a consumer could be confused if their privacy protections change from state to state. But again, in the absence of a, a federal law, you just have states st- setting a standard. And like for me, I'm benefiting from the California standard, I guess, because those privacy protections are being extended. All right. So what's the future look like when it comes to big tech regulation? Are states likely to continue to play the role that they're playing? Or, or do you expect that, that the federal government will be a little bit more prominent? I think states are going to continue on this path. I mean, I think that states are going to be where a lot of the tech policy battles are more most fiercely fought in 2020. Um, you have California on privacy now, but I don't know if New York is going to be okay with California setting the standard. New York might want to set the standard. So we could see a lot of states trying to step up and say, we have the strongest protections here. Margaret Harding McGill, reporter for Axios. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Duemros, but you don't have to say it that way. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. And you can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. Will Reed, Bird Pinkerton, and Skylar Swenson produce the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. And Reset is produced in association with Stitcher, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds. Support for this show comes from HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.